0: Restaurant Unstoppable Episode four fifty
1: six with Chef Anthony T Head. Every every cook is slow, right? How do you get that speed? Remember who you were. And in fact the great saying I hear is be who you needed when you were younger. That's what I love about that, right? And when you can do that, you say, oh, man, I remember the first time I had the an Orange. Oh, that sucked. Or the first time you had to poach a million eggs during a bunch. Oh, that sucked. What techniques or small tips can you give that person? And using your empathy to educate, that's how you get the results you want. Are you ready for it?
0: Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust BentoBox with their websites. And if you mention restaurants unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Anthony T. Head, a.k.a. The People's Chef. My man, Anthony, are you feeling unstoppable today? Uh Unstoppable,
1: indomitable. <laughs> Let's go.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, Chef Anthony T. Head is a graduate of Ball State University, a School of Business. Chef Anthony T. Head is a, the son of the city on a mission to raise up the city and the next generation of restaurateurs. Today he's the director of culinary program at uh Ponits, did I say it right? You got it. Uh, Ponits Career Technology Center, and obviously we're just scraping the surface. You have a a great story. I just got to listen to it before uh, the interview chat, the pre-interview chat, and I I think this is going to be great. I'm really excited for it, but before we dive into who you are and uh, what makes you you, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Here's
1: my mantra I give every class, every cooking class I've ever done. A good cook cooks. A better cook reads and the
0: best cooks right all right dive into that how does that resonate to you what's the, what's the underlying message there
1: eight years old my dad is gone I'm hungry pancakes are there they're in the box I make them he comes home I hide them <laughs> he smells them wasn't the best thing I said dad you know I really want to cook he said he said okay it's alright I said well dad how do I learn how to cook he said just read the box son Fast forward to a certain point in my career, I walk in, and one of my cooks is sitting in the back storage room. This is a guy who hasn't been classically trained, and he wanted to tighten up some sauces we've been working on. And he's reading one of my CIE cookbooks. I got a book from a previous chef. So he's reading. And then the advice I give all of my cooks is that we make changes to the menu on the fly, to the spec sheet, they will write down these changes. So when I say a good cook cooks, you got to get in there and mess around. You got to burn some stuff up. You got to tweak some stuff. And you got to master it, right? But you can only do that by actually doing the act of cooking. A better cook reads. There's a certain humility in not knowing. And if you don't have a person there, if you don't have, uh, long before all the Food Network shows and all that, you got to get in a book Mm -hmm. to look for those answers. Mm -hmm. And then once you find those answers, the best cooks write. Why do it all over again? Document. Um, what you found What you discovered What you're going to try next time What's like a scientist And it's almost like A kind of a, a culinary and scientific method uh, But that's where That mantra comes from And that's why I try to view all my students with. Nice
0: Awesome way to get This thing started So where does it All start from you You have a really Interesting story But like, I guess Where did like, the It sounds like the, the love for food Started when you were Very young And yeah. it kind of Stayed yeah. with you uh, so, where
1: do you want to start the conversation? I'll just let you, you take it from here. Well, the first part, I mean, let's go back to that pancake. What I didn't say is I was in the home of all males. Uh, okay. my, my mother actually passed away when I was two years old, oh, man, just rough. three weeks after my youngest brother was born. Oh, wow. So, all of a sudden, my dad, living the American dream here in Dayton, Ohio, uh, You know, working in industry. I had an older brother who was 12. I was two. My youngest brother was three weeks. And all of a sudden, he comes home and has to tell his boys, mom's not coming home anymore. How old were you? I was two two years old at that time. Oh, my gosh. Right? And uh, the blessing, the mixed blessing of all this is I actually don't remember her. So it's kind of one of the heartbreaks of my life. I don't remember her voice. I don't remember Mm. what she smells like. And I don't remember her cooking. But it comes, the circle around later on is that I have all of her in me. And we'll get to that. Mm. So when I get back to that pancake, it was out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Food. Of all the different things we have to do in life, uh, eating is probably the most important. Right? Uh, So in that moment, I wanted to make this pancake. And my father was like, Absolutely. Right? And I say, well, how can I learn how to cook? What I didn't say is, how do I learn how to cook like mom? What do I do to things? Because all her dishes are still there. Mm. All of her pots and pans are still there. Like she's still there in our home. So to touch that was actually to have a connection to her. That's beautiful. So so that's kind of where the love of cooking is a necessity and it's a way to connect with a mother uh, I quite literally don't remember.
0: All right. So that's how it started. Uh, You took kind of a, you jumped around a little bit before you really leaned in. So what were some of the key points of your life that that set you up for life in uh, culinary?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. There's always been a love of food, but also an understanding of how food can heal one. Mm. Uh, what I did mention earlier is that my father, uh, unfortunately, as a result of all these traumatic experiences, um, really got into substance abuse and actually had his ongoing health problems. So at a certain point, he needed a heart transplant. And he, he was so afraid. I remember about being 11. He was so afraid of getting his heart transplant uh, because he was afraid of leaving us alone. And I, I never thought about, mm. oh, my God, I can not have both of my parents. Yeah. But what he did for the next 10 years was he started drinking better in terms of water, uh, we changed our diet. We had a low-sodium diet. So because he was eating healthy, the whole family ate healthy, which in turn made us healthy. Uh, physical activity, he walked off a lot of excess weight. So I saw these great health benefits come from really focusing on the diet. So that was it for me, right? Um, so I didn't take that quite The connection between health and food is serious because I also was growing up poor. The substance abuse was not out was not without its scars on our financial life, our home life. So we struggled mightily. Luckily, I had some athletic talent. I was a pretty smart kid and was able to get a scholarship. Uh, to the Ball State University in Tennessee, okay. Indiana, and kind of went through there. But I focused on finance at the time. Okay. Actually, finished up my collegiate career with a master's degree in information and communication sciences. But the connection to health was always there. What so year was that when you graduated the first time around? Came out of Ball State, uh, undergrad, 2001. 2001, that's right. Graduate school, 11 months later. So I okay. was hitting it, man.
0: So there was, what was happening between 2001 and 2007 when you were, were trying out for
1: the NFL? <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, almost part of the pre millennial generation. Okay. We actually pursued our dreams. <laughs> <laughs> with vigor, right? Uh, so I was working at pharmaceutical and biotech firms out in California and this bug bit me. I was in a barbershop one day saying, man, you know what? If I can get in shape, I could try out for the NFL. Did you play football in college? Well, here's the thing. Uh, what I didn't say is when I got to college, I was recruited to play Ball State Um, But on my 18th birthday, right before two-a-days, my foster mother passed away. Oh, my gosh. So she actually died in my lap of a massive heart attack. Oh, man. The conversation we had literally the minutes before she passed away, before we understood she was having a heart attack, that she really wanted me to focus on my academics. Mm. Came up to Ball State, went to two-a-days, and didn't make it happen. I, said, uh, I can't do it. But I stayed because I actually had a bunch of academic scholarships. So I took this whole other different route, still stayed in shape and all that. So that's where that yearning for football remained. Okay. So now I'm in California, pinnacle my career, making six figures with this master's degree, working in biotech firms. And I got bored. I said, it's time to pursue a dream. My, uh, my uh, ex-father-in-law at that time was actually a former NFL guy. He played okay. for the Raiders back in the early 80s. He said, if you're getting in shape, man, I can train you, we and we can make, make a go of this. So we did that for two years. I worked okay. as a consultant half the year, and the other half of the year I trained vigorously uh, to be a defensive back. So, what were you working uh, as a consultant? What were you consulting on? Uh, information technology projects, okay. organizational communication management, all this great stuff. Okay. You know, uh, actually, the electronic uh, records management was kind of just beginning then. So, a lot of companies that work for us, how do we manage all this massive amounts of information about individuals, which again plays into who I become as a chef a little bit. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm I'm, putting a star next to that. I'm curious how that plays in. Oh, yeah. Okay, so keep going. Guess so I get to the combine, man. They say, hey, You're a a little guy, but you're fast and strong. Put some weight on. I said, cool. So next year came back. I'm a bigger guy. He said, but you're a little slower, so get a little faster. So that's the (laughs) game you play in trying to be a professional athlete. And trust me, they have their pick. But I had a pretty good shot, man. So this summer, uh, I think it was uh, 07, uh, after the combine, I'm geeked up. I'm still a kid in my mind, right? So I'm coming back to town for my high school class reunion. Uh, you know, I'm super fit, and I'm waiting to get my hair cut. because so I want to be crisp and clean for that evening's activity. So I stopped at my pastor's house. It was a great influence on me at the time. and was telling him about everything that was going on. Now, mind you, I mentioned the NFL story, not because it's a great story. I never make it to the NFL. But <laughs> it kind of sets up what happens next, which is really the pinnacle of what changed my life. So on August 4th, 2007... I had been in Dayton, Ohio, about four hours. I just come in overnight from Chicago, checked in with a couple friends in Indiana, and I was off my schedule a little bit. I eat every two hours as an yeah. athlete, 3.5% yeah. body fat, 200 pounds. Yeah. Had to have pretty, uh, pretty good discipline. I was off my schedule. So by the time I got to my pastor's house around 11 a.m., I wasn't feeling too well. I was like, man, got a little migraine, a little queasy. And at one point, um, he said, let me take your blood pressure. You seem a little out of wits. So he did. They said, man, your blood pressure is really high. So they called 911. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. They're giving me some juice, and I'm kind of getting myself together. say, hey, I'm not chef. I'm Anthony at the time. <laughs> Let's go out to the bus. And as I go out to the bus, this shadowy figure comes out of nowhere and kind of grabs me. So I only mention the NFL story because at that time I had NFL strength. Yeah. So when I push this gentleman away from me, he falls to the ground. He points back at me saying, there he is. These other shadowy figures come into the room. And in the next minute or two, I am tussling with these shadowy figures. <laughs> and I find myself on the ground after having been tased seven times. Luckily, I didn't feel it. Thank God for that. And they told me had I been in the streets that it would have killed me. That if you had been, in, I don't understand that. So what do you mean if you had been in the streets it would have killed? So you? the reality is, I was having this tussle in my pastor's living room. Yeah, there were witnesses. Oh, uh, all right, there were witnesses. So um, did your pastor think you were somebody else? How did they no, find you? No, my pastor knew I was. In fact, when they made the call, uh, my name, Angel. I tell my kids all the time, I always use your first name, middle initial, and last name. My name is Anthony T. Head. There is someone in the city who has a similar name to mine, very similar, only off by one initial. And these uh, officers, while they were found out, were police officers who were trying to subdue me. Um, thought I was that person, so okay. that's where the initial mix-up was. I didn't know it. I'm it's, all of a sudden I'm in a county jail saying, "Hey, you got the wrong guy." Like this is classic. This is playing yeah. Out like but a at movie this point, online. like you
0: were defending yourself because you didn't know what was going on, and you just you weren't feeling right, so you weren't in the right, you know, precisely yeah. head place, the head space The headspace. So, all
1: right. So, what happens next? I spend 30 days in county jail, and they figure out, oh, you aren't that guy. <laughs> but as a result of being in jail and you have to go through trial, and all, I got seven months, said I can't leave the city. I'm living in the Bay Area, California at the time when I came to visit, so I can't leave the city. I said, I got to do something different. Yeah. Well, the nutrition thing was kind of a mystery. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take a couple of classes at a local school and learn more about this nutrition. This is going to be another feather I put in my cap. And that's kind of started the journey on food. Um, and luckily, as it would have it, part of that curriculum requires you to take a couple of culinary classes. Well, guess what? Ever since that pancake as a child, I always want to get formal training. I said, I don't want to be a chef-chef. I just want to learn how to cook. But you can't really do that. There aren't any good, robust programs yeah. out there. So I did that part-time. And for about two years, I was studying to be a dietitian. when this story happened. And this is one that really kind of put me on the path of being uh, a full-time culinarian. Uh, so I'm at the this, this nursing home. And I'm part of our curriculum is that you have to feed a person, kind of a dietetic assistant at this point. And I'm feeding a – I'll call her Mrs. Jean – and she can only do a couple things. The only thing she could say is, I just want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed. She would say that over and over mm. and over again. She had a medical condition that required her food to be pureed. And I was, my assignment that day was to feed her. So I was trying to figure out, okay, all right. You got your starch, you got your veg, you got your protein. In what order do I do this? And this is where it becomes very intimate because no matter who it is on the other side of that spoon, that's someone you have to love. right? Mm. So how do you feed this person? So I kind of go around her little puddles. And I'm giving her taste, and she's kind of okay, she's eating it. I just want to go to bed. And then I, give her, I get to her broccoli, pureed broccoli. It's thickened. And I give her a scoop of it, and she goes, oh, that's <laughs> terrible. And I can never replicate how devastating that sounded because it broke my heart. Because of all the things this woman had lived through and was going through currently, I, this punk kid out of a dietetic program, is feeding her something disgusting. And I knew there's something we could have did. She had a low-sodium diet. There's something we could have did. So later on that evening, I'm now taking culinary classes in the evenings, dietetic during the day. Talked to one of my chefs. I said, man, I can't do this. I don't want to feed people bad medicine. Our primary role with medical nutrition therapy is to really spend a lot of our time giving patients nutrition that you know, takes up for the side effects of the medicine they take. I said, I want to nourish people with food. When do we get to that part? He said, you need to come to culinary school. Mm. You need to learn what we do. And that kind of started from there. And we could have not given her more salt, but maybe made her puree with some good chicken stock, right? Yeah. Just find different basic tenets of cooking that we weren't being taught on a diet. So diet.
0: you wanted to love her, to nourish her with the, the healthiness side of food, but you were very limited on how you could do that because of her, her dietary restrictions. And for you, uh, feeding people medicine isn't quite as rewarding as maybe feeding them the
1: experience and the love. Quite frankly, and, you know, and I had said, well, I still want to be part of the medical community. So I figured I'll be a family practitioner who knows how to cook? And I'll have little clinks in my office. We'll teach people how to nourish themselves. Because again, going back to my dad, I saw how this can happen. Mm-hmm. But the number one barrier is that people don't know how to cook. That's why it's, this is why it's so popular. That's why you love all these celebrity chefs and these books because people don't the basic things, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't want to do all the high end Michelin star food at home. People don't know how to make a good, a great grilled cheese. sandwich. Mm-hmm. And we know there's some small tips that do that. Now, in the same time, you see that food network and the cooking networks everything is taking off. So people are still getting it, but they still aren't learning the very basic skills to get them started. Yeah. You know? So, okay, so now at this
0: point you're committed to culinary as like a, a, a career, like this Absolutely. is, you're on board at this point. Oh, yeah. what,
1: what series of events, how do you start living intentionally at this time to get yourself ahead? Oh man. So again, I'm this guy, I'm going to be this hybrid. I'm going to be a doctor, a cooking doctor. So in it, so during the daytime, I'm taking all my science classes in the evenings, I'm doing the required internships for graduation from the culinary program. So I found out pretty quickly, you can really get in and learn a lot about an organization when they're opening. So as different restaurants around town started to open up, I said, man, I'm going to be a part of that crew. First of all, you kind of come in sight unseen. One thing I learned from my professional background is people see you. So unlike all the other kids, I showed up in my crispy white ACF jacket. You know, I was on a competition team. I'm well-groomed. I'm articulate. You know, mm-hmm. I've been a professional before, a culinary student. So that got me every job I interviewed for. And then I was just – I just came into these kitchens and learned. I was humble enough to put my feet at the foot of that general manager or that opening sous or that exec chef, and they would just pour into me. Everything they had, because they wanted their business to be successful. So I kind of bounced around, and the great thing by being a student, you kind of had this uh, this blank check to say, "Hey, you're going to be here three to six months. It's understood. Let's give you what you can, what we can give you, to then move you on." So that was incredibly helpful and really ramping me up and you know, shortening up that learning curve for the first couple of years. And
0: what I love about your your entry into the industry is uh, most people shy away from openings. They don't want to work the openings because mm. well, obvious reasons because everyone's running around the chicken with the head to cut off. Like the, There's no systems established yet. Nobody has developed their habits, right? Uh, but you, you sought those opportunities out. You, you wanted to be a part of the openings Why did you take that approach That's kind of how you got Your like street MBA In culinary It was just like Being a part of many As many openings as possible Well
1: it's just like stodging, Right How yeah. do you get that intimate time You can go into a Well established restaurant And it's a well ordered machine Yeah How do you plug yourself Into that well ordered machine Hey, chef, hey, chef. You don't even get to talk to the chef, right? Mm-hmm. The person is either in the office, they're doing their thing, they don't want to be bothered with the new guy. Yeah. But at an opening, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. So the great thing is, I didn't say, but as you start off and you start to outperform your peers, your hustle is there, you're learning basic techniques, they don't want you to come in and be in a know it all. Mm-hmm. And you know how uh, culinary students are I, I've graduated from such and such and such and such, I got this. But when you're in the middle of it, in the thick of it, you're trying to. You it doesn't know, matter where you're you from, can't you handle your it in that moment. In that and moment, that's it. Yeah. And having been a former athlete, having grown up in this city, I was built for the pressure, and, yeah. you know, diamonds are the pressure that rock creates. So I love <laughs> to shine in those moments. So that's why I sought them out because all of a sudden I found myself being the right hand man of the chef. My knife skill was immaculate. I paid attention. I was clean. I was organized. All those basic tenants as a culinary student, I was learning in the evenings when I wasn't working. I put them into play that evening. In fact, one restaurant it was, a, it's now closed called the wine loft it was opened by a local businessman. And I remember saying, oh man, during middle of a rush, we don't have any pastry bags. So he takes a parchment paper and throws it at me. Didn't say anything else. I said, but earlier that week, one of my chef instructors, uh, Randy, uh, he said, hey, man, just take that parchment paper, roll it up. It's a piping bag. Instantaneous. I yeah. literally learned that less than 48 hours. And all of a sudden, I'm being called on it. I grabbed that parchment paper out of the air. I said, I know what to do with this. I rolled it up, put the butter in there, start piping. And the owner of this restaurant, who was there, this yeah. is the corporate owner, is there saying, don't you ever ask for a tool? And uh, another colleague says, yes, a poor craftsman blames his tools. So I learned to be resourceful in the moment, but you don't get that sitting in the classroom. Yeah, you have to work, mm. and that's why I got
0: it. So I love what you just said there. You, you took this lesson uh, that you learned. What other lessons do you have? Like, mm-hmm. I guess stop and reflect for like two or three seconds in the the path you took, the, the kitchens you worked at, the people you worked. List off three people chronologically that are were most significant in forming you into who you are today, uh, and then. Start with the first person and what you learned in this Mm -hmm. restaurant with this
1: person and then just move on to the next two after that. Oh, man. You say we start with restaurants, but I really have to, you know, I'm kind of cheat a little bit. Step back to dad. Okay. It was freedom. Mm. It was creative freedom. It was freedom to find the answers. It was the freedom to fail uh, safely. So that's what my dad gave me, Right. Um, then we just fast forward to culinary school. There was a guy, uh, Steve Cornier, who's had probably the biggest impact on the people chef. Because I remember coming to his office one day, and this guy won awards. He's in a kind of local culinary hall of fame. So he started the program here locally at Sinclair. And I remember walking in his office and seeing him in front of all these turkeys. So uh, I guess at some point during his career, he would make all these meals using this exquisite knowledge. I mean, this guy has done it all. Could cook for kings and queens, but he was serving his community with food. And can you imagine what it's like? When a chef with all that knowledge and skill pours it into a turkey mm. for someone who's less fortunate. And I actually kind of took the helm of a project like that uh, while I was in culinary school. I would cook uh, for a local church each year. And that taught me humility and understanding that, and if I may, we have superpowers as chefs. chef. We take things that swim in the ocean, that walk on land, that fly in the sky, and we make them palatable. And not just palatable that we can eat them and digest them, but we to nourish. Mm. And that's a very intentional act, Right. There's not a chef in the world who doesn't look at a product and say, how can I make this into something delicious? But as we become more conscious about where our food comes from and who's it going to from farm to table, that's a conscious decision that every chef of any repute would make. And that's what I get to do now. So Steve was the next person. Um, so no,
0: real quick from Steve, the, I just want to summarize mm-hmm. the big lessons, uh, serving those uh, who are less fortunate, humility, yes. Yes. and just the, the idea of nourishing, like yes. nourishing the soul, nourishing the person. Yes, yes.
1: Okay. And, you know, I got to give a shout out. One of my boys there's another chef, but I want to talk to this chef first. Joe Himes, we're in a, one of our basic culinary classes, and the first, day, first assignment we had was making a pizza. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, man, we got all these different cheeses and all these different toppings. And you look around different tables, people are just heaping all these toppings on there. And Joe, now this cat, he had actually been working energy for some time. He was in culinary school to get the paper. And he said, no, nah, man, we're not going to do that. We're going to take slivers of this goat cheese. We're going to take these, um, we're going to do some brunoise of this, and we're going to slice that. And we spent a little more time on it. We laid it out beautifully. We topped it with cheese, and we cooked it, and it was magnificent. And in that moment from Joe, and I learned many more lessons from this guy, um, is that it's you know, perfection. It's not about perfection, but it's about having a high standard in everything that we do. Even though it was kind of free pizza day to everyone else, but he held me to a high standard in that moment, and I've never relinquished it. And for every student who comes to my door now, it's because of Joe Himes that I hold them to a high standard because it makes a difference. How does it make a difference? It makes a difference because it's the small things that matter. It's not about being perfect. In fact, I tell my kids all the time, we shoot, we shoot for perfection to achieve consistency. You will never be perfect. But try to be consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Come and get the same thing, but you always want to shoot towards perfection. And that's the standard. The standard is perfection. Mm-hmm. Not get it out the door, not get them fed, not turn the table. It's give people the best that you got. Mm-hmm. We try doing that every single time. Awesome, man. All right, so who's the next, the next guy in your career along the journey? It's, it's the shot. This is the one that changes me from Anthony Head, the cook, to the people chef. And that's Chef Mark Brown, another local Dayton guy. Uh, born and raised in Dayton, went to Patterson, the high school the predecessor of the school I teach at now. And uh, he's made his bones. He did it the classic way, uh, did some service, went to culinary school, worked on boats, worked for celebrities, and he became a star in the gym city. And that's hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. To be famous in your own town. Uh, he actually is based out of Atlanta now, uh, but he gave me a shot. He uh, had a cooking demonstration at this uh, health walk because, again, I'm still kind of loosely connected to the healthcare world. And he gave me a shot to get on stage with him to be kind of his prep sous chef. Okay. Uh, The great thing is uh, this local photographer, Thomas Sheenberger, rest in peace, Thomas. He just recently passed away. He started taking pictures of us. So Chef Brown is in this linen suit. You know, he's cooking for all these great celebrities on the microphone. But when the pictures started to come out. Thomas had focused in on myself and actually Joe Himes is next to me. So who we are knocking this stuff out, cutting all these vegetables for chef Brown's demonstration. And when those pictures came, out, I was like, wow, man, first of all, I look pretty good on camera, (laughs) right? I'm crispy white. And, uh, but it was because of that opportunity that Mark Brown, Mark Brown gave me and many others he gave me after that moment uh, that allowed me to become a chef. And, uh, we had a a great bond uh, that really launched my culinary career here in Dayton. So what was the lesson you learned from Mark Brown? Oh man. Uh, how do you encapsulate passion, the lesson, you do it. The best thing about Mark is that he did it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't reflect on his old things. He did it. If we needed a special, maybe some celebrity or somebody came into the restaurant one night. He was like, I got it. And he'd get on that stove. He'd clear the stove off. It's kind of like a basketball player who clears out the lane, right? This is what Mark would do. he said, okay, hey, you, you give me you give me fish. You give me some of that meat, pico. You give me this. You give me that. And in that moment, he would make together the most wonderful meal. And I remember he would do that every night. And one time, man, I'm going to say this out loud because I can say it now. I'm secure in who I am. I said, hey, man, I shouldn't feel this way about another man's food. And when I say feel this way, he nourished me with mm. his food. He would tell stories at the table about how intimate cooking is and it just wasn't the story to him he taught us and trained us that way it was a thought that starts in your mind you use your hands to develop it and then you literally give it to people that touches their lips and becomes a part of them what is more intimate than mm. that and there's one other thing in life I don't need to say that to <laughs> kind of but I'm Wait. telling you this is right behind
0: it man so real quick you said he nourished you with his food what, do you, what exactly do you mean in what way did he
1: nourish you nourish me so it's uh, one thing I love it's kind of off a trend now but no waste using every part of a product yeah having care for that part i mean these basic things these mantras that every chef kind of talks about you know individually he pulled it all together how he picked product, you know, how he prepared his pan. If that pan wasn't sizzling; he wouldn't lay meat in it. All those basic tenets of cooking. But when you say things like "nerves," like what does that mean? Mm. It's like a warm blanket. Okay, you're shivering; you're just a little chilly, and someone takes a warm blanket or maybe a warm towel straight out the shower. That's how his food would make you feel. And I knew it was intentional because yeah. I saw it when it came in from the fishmonger. I saw it when he used his knife and he cut it. I saw it when he put it in the pan and he seasoned it, or whatever he did. And that process, much like raising a child, and my dad, so I get it. He's a father, so he got it. This very intentional process to get something from its beginning stages to the end product and knew that, hey, like I said, you let that fish out in the world to nourish a customer. You're letting that child out into the world to be a citizen. It was that process. When I say nourish, it's a very comprehensive, holistic approach to food.
0: Awesome, Chef. Uh, so one other thing I picked up from this, too, is uh, he, he, I think he taught you about the importance of giving opportunities. Absolutely. Maybe suddenly it wasn't yes. maybe a little subtle, but uh, what do you
1: think it was in him or in you that he saw in you? What was it in you that he saw that he wanted to give you an opportunity? I mean, I reached out. So, and, and I've learned this. He, he was the first guy I reached out to to respond, and I've done it every year since. I say, he said, uh, okay, announcing celebrity chef Mark Brown is going to be doing a cooking demo at the, the big uh, parade. I said, you know what? I'm going to send this guy an email. And he sent well, one back. He said, yeah, I can use a volunteer help. So, by me You volunteered. Myself, okay, there's volunteer. a lesson right there, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. man. Okay. Yeah, as we say in the kitchen all the time, close mouths don't get fed. So, you close your mouth, can't put no food in. In this case, I opened my mouth said, can I? May I? He said, sure. Right, free labor. I'm not, you know, yeah. we, we can't stodge anymore. We can't do any of that stuff. But you can always volunteer. That's what you do, any students. Volunteer. Yes, and it gives you entree. I was on stage with him. I thought yep. it would be behind the scenes cutting potatoes or not. No, he put us on stage with him because it was just important that the crowd saw that we were prepping that food live. And he used this meal again as part of the African American Wellness Walk, so they can see how fresh food tastes and how it's prepped. Uh, so anyway, that shot reaching out, him responding, it broke down any walls. And I've talked to many celebrity chefs since then. Guess what? We're all people, man. And that's why I'm the people chef. You'll never hear me say I'm a celebrity chef. A lot of people say this based on who they cook for. Well, I cook for the people. If you like food, you like what I'm cooking, that's what it's about. So that's where my moniker uh, came from. But that's what it was about, man. He broke down all the walls. He made himself accessible, right? And uh, in our kitchen every day, if you had a question, I remember he would bring in a new cut of meat or a beef. And he would say, hey, prep guys, come over. Hey, sous chef, come over. he said, hey, dishwasher, come over. Yes. And he taught everybody in the kitchen this product where it came from how to identify it it was just like had i never gone to culinary school which of course i was in at that time i would have learned it from him and that's why i have so much respect whether you go to culinary school or whether you work your way up because i'm telling you there's value in both right mm, absolutely um, but he brought it together for us in the kitchen he educated everyone so that influenced me later on as well
0: so okay that was around 2011 you were yeah. working with chef brown yeah. 2011 2012 is when you get in with delish cafe yeah,
1: yeah how did yeah. you get into that opportunity Delish Cafe, that's, the, that's the kind of my origin story. So Mark had come to town to consult with Delish. We had been doing some special events at a local club. They had some menu items that were similar to what he was doing. He was working with them to really just upscale their menu and help their business. Uh, so he brought me on as kind of a consultant prep cook. He said, "Hey, man, come in here and show these old guys how to dress, how to get their station set up, how to prep." Now at this time, I was part of ACF Hot Foods Competition team, so I learned about how important this stuff was. You know, it's all about the visuals, the optics of working as a professional. So he wanted me to bring that to him. Uh, we worked together for about nine months. I was quickly named his sous chef. Uh, I came on in May, and by August, I was named his sous chef. And you're still working with Chef Mark Brown at this point, so Brown. he's the executive chef here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. He's the chef. And then around December, I was like, chef, let me have the keys. He was opening several other restaurants uh, in the area. And then, of course, he was based in Atlanta. And we made a transition in December. I became the executive chef of Delish Cafe.
0: December 2012. Okay. Okay. And what was that like, uh, taking over control of a kitchen for the first time? Talk us through that evolution.
1: I mean, it's like it's precisely what I say, right? You got the keys. Hey, dad. Kind of keys to the lack. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get it back, right? Yeah. I don't own it, so there's a responsibility there to take care of it. Yeah. It's, it's a vehicle like any other vehicle, right? Yeah. But it rides a little smoother. Mm. But it's really based on your skills. So it was, for me, it, it was my shot. It was my chance to put all the lessons I put in. Now the great thing about Mark, because he had so many out-of-town events, I was left back at the shop by myself a lot to run the kitchen. So I ran the pass. And because I knew starting off as a prep cook, Every every menu item, every technique, what was going on, the timing of it, because I had done that. I made my rotation around uh, the kitchen. I could bark orders from that pass and say, hey, pan not hot, do this. Hey, salad, five minutes. So I became using my previous corporate experience and consulting experience to kind of bring these guys along and say hey I know it so re-increase quality Uh, we talk about that nourishment conversation right so now I know I had to change my vendors I had to get better quality product in and the best thing is you want to get better quality product start local right Mm -hmm. start talking to the people who are experts in it I'm a chef doesn't mean I know it all so I had to surround myself with people one of the things Mark also told me is how to build your team. Mm-hmm. they got to have some basic set of skills. Right? What are they those know? skills? Those basic skills is cleanliness. When we talk about things like, oh, passion and da-da-da. You can't teach that stuff. to grown men coming in from all the different aspects of life they are. Um, it's just, can you get to work on time? Can you work hard? Are you a team player? Can you listen? Can you take instruction? Can you take criticism? So these are basic things that we take for granted, especially in today's society. But you got to search through all the resumes for that. I don't need the guy with the gleaming resume with all the great interns and who's done this, that, or other. Can you work? Have you worked? Right, mm-hmm. And that's it, man. I, I want to hear more about the guy who has a love and a passion to care for the food versus I make this really great burger or I work for so-and-so. Name-dropping does not do it for me. It was an immediate turnoff.
0: So you took that restaurant from, I think, it, what it was right around, like, right around 400,000 a year annual oh, yeah. to 1.2 million about a year? More per annum, So yeah. what big things did you do aside from building the team, which is huge in the quality of the ingredients, which is Mm -hmm. huge, huge. What were you doing to to elevate that restaurant? Reflecting back, hindsight being twenty twenty, what can you take
1: from that experience? Oh, man, you know, it was marketing. I had some very supportive owners at the time. I would say, hey, Big Will, X, he said, yes. It was a lot of yeses. Why? Because they trusted me. I had proven myself to be trustworthy with the decisions I made. Again, that Cadillac, hey, I got it polished. I didn't ding it up. I filled it up with gas. You know, I did the things necessary to show them that, they could trust me. So we started to make more decisions. The big thing was marketing. Um, you know, everybody thinks they want to be a celebrity chef, but that comes with a lot of burdens. But I was lucky enough to get linked up with a local station where every week or so they would call me and say, hey, chef, hey, you want to come on and do a cooking demo? I seized that as an opportunity to mm-hmm. do a three to six minute commercial for my business. I mean, I had it down packed. Yeah. I ran through the address. And what I found pretty quickly is every time I demonstrated a particular dish on our menu, it was skyrocket. That night, I said, okay, guys, I did sweet potato bread pudding today on TV. It's going to jump. Give me, you know, just up our pars for it and like clockwork it did. What you have to find those opportunities. Some people come on TV to brag about themselves or about some dish. What I got on TV to do was to educate because you have to educate your consumer base. This is who we are. This is how we do it. Come get a taste of what we have at Delish, right? And that's what I did. And I continue to do it now, even as a teacher. So, again, taking advantage of those marketing opportunities. And what people don't know is you don't get paid to do TV. They tell you to show mm-hmm. up, you bring your me's, and you, you make it happen. That was it. Um, and so that was probably, I felt, because it brought the people in. Mm-hmm. And once people started to come in and taste our food and see what we had going on, we definitely had something special going so on. So when, when you said you were educating them, what did yes. that process look like? What were you educating them oh, on exactly? Oh, fantastic. Ingredients, right? Okay. You know, I remember one of my first segments, I showed them how we process our collard greens, literally how I pick them, how I did a nice, I would, you know, peel the rib out and do a nice chiffonade cut and tell them this is a chiffonade cut. I show them how we cleaned them. You show them the care, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine me changing the baby's diaper. I show them the brand of diaper used, the wipes. But in this case, I did it with food. And people would <laughs> see that. Yeah. And you take it for granted, right? Because it's a midday show. A lot of people are working. But maybe uh, a, a wife or maybe a grandmother was watching that segment and say, honey, we got to go check this place out. They cook their food like I cook mine. Or mm-hmm. they do it a different way. Yeah. It, did just, it didn't just magically appear out of some black box or some kitchen in a waiter's hand floating mm-hmm. to the table. It was like, no, I know what goes into this. And the kind of crazy thing was, because I did those cooking demonstrations so much, every single person at a restaurant thought I was cooking all the food. <laughs> I ran the pass. I didn't touch anything. Yeah. But I did teach my cooks how to do what I did. Yeah. So that was the translation. When you educate them, you have to understand, wow, that's how he did that. I could probably do it, but I also know I can go down there and have it done for me. And that's what he paid a premium price for. Yeah.
0: So I'm curious when you had this opportunity because you, you would be able to choose what you wanted to demonstrate on this mm-hmm. uh, food mm-hmm. network mm-hmm. slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you select items that maybe had bet- better margins to really like oh. push, like okay, like let's let's yes. if we if I get out there and uh, they're they're buying what I'm talking about, I might as well pick the the best performing item on my menu to get
1: those margins. Were Were you being intentional like that, or was well were actually the exact opposite, right? Okay. I think all my food's amazing. (laughs) So I've had a lagging dish, right? We're looking at the POS system. We're doing the analytics. Hey, man, we got a dog on here. What can we do to kind of pep it up? That's the exact opposite I would do. Okay. So you will highlight that dish and say, hey, we're doing this this week. And that's exactly what we did. So the leaders are going to sell no matter what, right? If you came to the list, you know the wings were great. I did one second on wings, never did it again. (laughs) But maybe I had a certain egg roll or a certain dessert or yeah. maybe it was something new. Again, it was a commercial, pure and simple. You want to push something, and that's what you want to make the entire menu profitable. Uh, one thing I did do was reduce the menu size. Okay. I think a lot of us try to do too much. Uh, you can't be good at everything, as we all know. So reducing it down to what we could really expertly hone. And from a, uh, I guess my business people will appreciate this, uh, reuse in the kitchen. So I started bringing in good quality ingredients, but I wanted to use up every single bit of it. From you know, a chicken came in. It was totally, we dominated chicken, right? Mm-hmm. We from the time it came in, if it had a feather on, we plucked it. We made stock. We cut off the bone, and we used those products in the kitchen. That's kind of unheard of in a lot of urban restaurants because we're used to the big truck coming up, giving us all this processed food. But you lose so much. But when you have higher skilled staff, my kids weren't all culinary students. They were people coming off the street, show a man, put in a, put in a man's hand a, a boning knife, and show him how to break down a kitchen a yeah. chicken for the first time. He said, oh, man, that was that easy. I said, I know. Now do the rest of the case. <laughs> yeah. But they don't understand now is that now those bones go into stock. Yeah. You know, that, that, that breast is this. A tenderloin comes from here, and these wings come from there. And we'll always buy wings in bulk because you don't want to cut a billion chickens. At yeah. point. So you have a, you teach your staff an appreciation for a food where it comes from. You upscale their skill, and it comes through in the flavor and the product that heads out to the kitchen. or right out to the dining room.
0: Awesome. So reflecting back at this time, the two years you
1: were at Delish Cafe, uh, and – would,
0: would there have been anything you would have done differently, do you
1: think, knowing what you oh, know man. today? Oh, definitely. And I think every chef kind of has this story, right? You know, you know, power, right? <laughs> I am now the executive <laughs> chef. Yeah. And I came across in ways I, I, that were regrettable at times, right? Okay. In the heat of the moment, it's been many times where I found out how hard I could slam my hand on that past window and not hurt it. Yeah, but you know I'm not hurt but can you imagine the stress and anxiety that gives your yeah. cooks or chefs Yeah, the sense of urgency I can do a work in fact my owner said "And chef I need you to get back there on the line because every time you're back there cooking everything comes out perfect I said I know so, I try to translate like, to you them know, because I want to be out like, there banging around. I need yeah. to run the rest of the restaurant because I need to just run the kitchen from the past. I ran the dining room from the past. Yeah. I, mean, I was barking at servers and everything else. So, I became that chef. Mm. And I think every chef who's been in that position knows exactly what I'm talking about. You are finally the guy, and everybody does everything. And in fact, everything would be perfect if they just did what you said. Mm-hmm. So, if I look back on those lessons, it wasn't about what I said that made me a good chef for our restaurant good, but about what I did. When people saw what I did on television, that's what brought them in. When my cook saw what I did in the kitchen, that's what elevated our talent. and yeah, let's do what I said, more what I did. And I mean, that's something that's kind of propelled me going forward.
0: Okay. Um, so really summarize that real quick. How, how do you get away from being the quote
1: unquote, that chef? What are the things mm. you do to get away from that? Uh, I mean, we talk about leadership, right? Yep. Uh, leadership is about what you do, not what you say. You get in and show them. Patience, um, let's forget about this. You know, we always talk about love of food. Let's love people, man. Mm. This is love, people. People are going through things, man. I remember I would have guys come in, stress, and say, whatever it is, leave it at the door. Get in here and cook. Do what you do. Because ultimately, that's the kind of guy I want cooking for me because he can come through in the food. Mm-hmm. Love comes through the food. We've all heard that. But you got to give people love too, man. We're all broken in some way. What can we do to patch them up? And I think the best parts about this business is the family. I mm-hmm. mean, come on, man. There's not a guy or a girl, a woman, as you say, in this business that doesn't go to a restaurant in back of the house and spend 18 hours a day with these folks and not become part of a family. If someone's late, we're not worried about them being late. We say, hey, man, are they okay? Are they going to make it? So when you start with loving people, it comes through in their food, and it ends up loving on the customers. Chef,
0: yes, man. That's the stuff we're after right there. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Thank you for getting into detail with that. So uh, eventually you get out of Delish Cafe. Yeah. What was the reason why you got out?
1: Well, I was kind of, uh, I had some dualities in my life. I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. So I told you that in the latter part of culinary school, I was taking pre-med classes, and we had these really great September 2012. I actually started in 2011, I mentioned, when I started East Chef. Um, but around September 2000. 2012, uh, of twelve, I was like, "Man, we're we got restaurant of the year." African American Chamber of Commerce So "You guys are great." We won the Miami Valley uh, Best Taste and Best Damn Appetizer, and all this great uh, culinary awards. So we had all, all this was coming to a head. I said, "Okay, that's it for me. Uh, this is fun. I've been a chef, but the real mission is medical school." So I brought in all these awards from the from the Taste of Miami Valley, and I put my keys in the bar. I said, "Okay, guys, good life." Now I gave proper notice and all that, but that was. A critical point. As I walk through this jam-packed restaurant, I mean it's shoulder to shoulder in there, and I'm walking out for the last time. I was a guy, but I built a brand. They're gonna be successful, and kind of as I still thought, if they just did what I said, they'll be all right. So, (laughs) yeah, I walked away with that in hand, and uh, that's when I began the next phase of my career. Okay, and uh, take us through that next phase. The next phase is a natural extension of the kitchen, right? Um, You still get to talk a lot, but doing is everything, and this was teaching. So I'm sitting at home, I'm studying for the MCAT, the Medical College Admissions Test, and I get a call. from a local school, a daughter at school, said, hey, Chef, you ever thought about teaching? I said, well, yeah, I kind of do it all the time. I've been doing it with these new employees. So they got me into this short-term cooking course. And what I love most about this, talking about people, it wasn't what I was doing, it was who I was doing it for. A lot of these folks, uh, Montgomery County has about 1,400 people uh, each month coming home from, uh, from prison, and they need jobs. And as Bourdain said, uh, I love this quote in Kitchen Confidential. He said, the kitchen is the last place of the miscreant. When I looked around that kitchen. Now, mind you, I got a master's degree in this kitchen. It didn't mean anything to these cooks, guys, right? Now, one master's degree has ever made a proper holidays. So I dealt with all kinds. I had guys, man, big scars, missing teeth, drug addictions, tattoos, and they all love foie gras, or they always love escargot. And yeah. I just love how food brought us together. So when I got this opportunity uh, to teach these folks coming home, it wasn't like I was dealing with the dregs of society. These people had been mothers and fathers and parents and had made a mistake and had paid their debt to society. But now they need an opportunity to, to start their lives over again. These people wanted to work. And in a business like ours that is so forgiving, it was my absolute pleasure to give them uh, some of those basic cooking skills and entree, you know, a call or a resume, or you know, an a asset, something to leverage it, to create their new their new career, the new their life. new life. Yeah. yeah, and that's what it is, literally a new life. So, what was the biggest lesson you learned in uh, teaching these people, giving giving them these lessons, these values, these assets
0: to create new paths in their lives?
1: I think we continue this trend with people, and it's about relationships, developing mm-hmm. relationships. I was able during this time to really kind of pull back on the relationships I had. Once I was a competitor with mm-hmm. the other restaurants, now that I'm a teacher. Say, hey, man, you got a spot for this person. This person has a certain skill set and that trust. So a lot of local chefs, people I worked for or, you know, competed against, whatever it may have been, um, being able to leverage those relationships for these people and give them good opportunities was it. And I think that's where my reputation started to grow, that if you got somebody from me, they're going to be solid. They've been taught by each chef who's done it, who's been competitive, who's been successful and I would imbue those uh, students with those same skills and it's very basic do the small things correctly mm-hmm. right and uh that's the type of person you get from me yeah. now, ultimately who they became their work ethic is their own but to get that shot was everything man and what I love doing that. did you did you draw a line when when it came
0: to teaching people how to be or like mm. i mean we we you know we <laughs> give them the skills the 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 ability to do, but what about how to be? Because I feel like that will, what, is what really will drive
1: you and get you ahead. Oh, man. That was it. And that's what I loved. I'm still raw out the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in September when I was doing that, uh, that last little cooking festival, I cut the tip of my finger off. Oof. So when we I didn't did, notice that when we shook hands. Said, oh, no. It's still, it grew back. <laughs> Just barely. It's still a little half moon on my index finger. But the great thing about that is my scars told my story. I mean, yeah. literally. I got scars on my arms. Yeah. I got singe marks. So when you're teaching knife skills, guess what happens? everyone pays attention because yes. you've done it. Yes. Right? So we go back to giving people these lessons. So how to be. Uh, we need a lot of social skills, right? I just tell them all the time. Yeah, kitchens are just like anywhere else, but everything on steroids. They're going to be racist, sexist, bias, high pressure, drugs, all these things that <laughs> for people who are just coming home from prison, probably not the environment you want to put them in. So I had to prepare them for that by being honest with them. Right? So a guy with a drug problem probably didn't go to the local bar, but I probably would send him to the hospital. Mm. Right? So you just try to, you try to feel people. Again, this is where... Getting to know your employees, yeah. their strengths and their weaknesses. So they you're match setting them, them up for success.
0: success, not just giving them an the opportunity, but finding the right opportunity for them. And that's Sorry to that. interrupt no, you.
1: No, 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 absolutely. But that's it. You know, you've got a great way of doing that. It's just putting them where they need to be and mm. setting them up for success that way. But teaching the culture of our business and what are some of the pitfalls, right? And think about it. There's a million stories. You've done several where people say, hey, I got caught up in the life. Well, when I have an opportunity, point to point somebody say, "Hey, they've already had a certain type of life that got them in trouble. That's why they're in prison. Now you're going to send them back a the society. You want to be, be more mindful about that, mm. right? So, being very thoughtful, we are so mindful about food and where it comes from. Let's be mindful about how we treat people and where we send them.
0: Yeah, you know, you're, you're doing this as a your your job at the time as a teacher, as an educator, as a, a career or an opportunity creator. Um, but I mean, this is not this is outside of the restaurant environment. As you're in like the, the the educational, uh, I guess." arena at this point mm-hmm. but these lessons that you're giving us and setting people up and finding the right lane and putting them, people where they belong where they're going to excel are all lessons we can do that in the, the in the restaurant too uh Absolutely. i think there's a lot of value in this conversation um okay so today uh, or do we is there anything you
1: don't want to make sure we skip over before we go more no. current time what you're doing today and what oh, your mission is today I, yeah it, it lands right into it in fact you mentioned Uh, the education arena being separate from restaurant. This is where I want to, this is what I've spent a lot of my time doing since then. And even currently is breaking down that wall. I don't think there should be like a a separation. We should have education in the Yeah, absolutely. And this is what we do. I get my kids out of that classroom. The most valuable lesson that we got from teaching those adults, you can talk everything you want about safety and sanitation and knife skill, but you cannot create that pressure, right? Then, you know how fast the line is a hundred tickets being in the weeds. So we got them out, we got them into internships. And as I made the transition about two years of doing this adult ed class, um, a local teacher was uh, resigning her role, the head of this local high school career tech program. He said, Hey, Cheb, you want to teach here? I said, Yeah. Had to clean my language up a little bit, just, <laughs> just a little bit. wasn't yeah. too far to go. Um, but what I found to make that curriculum leap off those pages was to get those kids out of the classroom and into the restaurant, mm. and that's kind of where we, brings us current day. Okay, so what's your mission today? Uh, really boil down, like what you're trying to do, what, what you, what you want to achieve with the, the work you're doing today. Well, you know, we talk about raising the next generation of uh, restaurant tools, yeah. hospitality management professionals. You got to get them in the business. Yes. Every morning, when my students come in, uniform check, hands out. Shoes, pants, shirt tucked in, belt, gig line straight, nails clean, right, and a firm handshake. Good afternoon and good morning. Why I is that think, so important? I feel like kids don't shit. It's hands. about connections. It's yeah. about how you engage someone. You know how it is. You've had that flimsy handshake. Or oh my god. Okay. You've had that surprisingly firm handshake and eye contact. You yeah. say, oh wow. Yeah. See, when these children, in this case, much like the adults who are coming home from prison, they're already doubted. Yeah. Shaniqua Chaton, blah blah blah, right? Yeah. Oh wow. We got one of those. No, nah, you have a young professional who has a different type of name, mm-hmm. but they're going to look you in your eye. Give you a firm handshake, and they're going to tell you their whole name because that's what I found out in my life. Your whole name makes a difference, right? You are someone, but from the minute they grip your hand, that sets in place who type of what type of person you can be. So, in raising up this next generation of professionals, we give them those skills. How do you develop those relationships? Say your name loudly and clear. Get a business card. Ask for the business, like I did on TV. Mm. Ask for the business to get the business. But these are personal skills. We got to train people how to do. Shake people's hand. I shook someone's hand before I came over here, and he had gloves on. He said, "I apologize for my gloves." I mean, that's a little fine nuance, Mm -hmm. but shaking someone's hand with gloves on, right? Bad manners, Mm -hmm. right? Never shake someone's hand who's sitting down, right? Mm -hmm. Stand up. Exactly. So it's all these things I'm teaching these teenagers who come to me with this passion for cooking, but I want them to have a passion for business because I tell them all the time. We're in a chapter right now. What's the number one rule of business in cooking or in restaurant? Make more money than you spend. Sounds easy and simplistic, <laughs> but how many things we have to do to make that happen? How oh, many wow. people clock in early yep. without, I mean, I'm sorry, come to work without clocking in, stay late without clocking, you know, we clocking in, to save the business money, right? Who goes down to the fish market before the hours? So you are not managing every single minute. So this business is about passion and how do you turn that passion into profit. It starts with simple things like a handshake, like being clean, right? Yep. Our kitchen was open. People started to pay more money at one point in my previous restaurant just to see the cooks cook, so, yeah, your image makes a difference, your mm-hmm. skill. So all these small things. My it's nickname, all a part of the
0: experience. Indeed, yep. right? It's
1: part of your professionalism, yep. and that's what we have to get back to. It's not about the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, super dishes with great garnishes. It's who's behind that food, yeah. right? And how are they translating who they are as a person into that dish? Beautiful. Chef, this has been
0: an awesome conversation, man. I'm loving it. Anything we haven't touched on up to this point. This is your opportunity to, to get it all, all out before we move to the speed round. And
1: if, if anything else, I just want to say I got so many great projects going on. I want to, a big shout out and thank you uh, to not only my own chef mentors who have then in turn become mentors for my students, but that's what it's about. Thank you. Continue this circle of learning. And uh, the best teachers are those who are the best students as we all continue to learn and making that evident right when chefs make mistakes like oops that's my bad and being humble about that and I'm in the Miami Valley man Dayton Ohio and we get a lot of flack for a lot of different things but what we don't get enough credit to is this amazing community of business professionals and restaurateur and hospitality management professionals who are about taking care of this city mm-hmm. right I tell them, I explain to my students you are in the business where if you're not at home That's our business. Where you sleep, that's not your bed. That's our business. Where you eat, that's not your kitchen. That's our business. Where you play, that's not your backyard. That's our business. Mm. And when when your business is hospitality, you have to be hospitable. And the gym city has been more than hospitable to myself and to my students and to each other. And that's what I love.
0: Chef, awesome. This has been a great conversation. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things, taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O.com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question. Honestly, does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures, they're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders and book private events plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, Eleven Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to GetBento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. We're back, and the first question I have for you chef is, what is your it factor a habit a trait
1: a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success i think passion ability mm. to communicate my passion man i think uh and this is from people telling me right I, I know i'm passionate about things you know not just in the heat of the moment but in every little thing you know that penchant for perfection not that i'm always going to be perfect but a passion for it a passion so pursuit. how did you find your passion i'm curious Oh, man, you know, and this is what I tell my kids all the time. How did I find my passion? I just kind of defaulted to something I knew I could do every day that I love. And that's what cooking became for me. I, you know, I, you, know you hear about my educational background, all the things I pursued. Those are things I thought I had to do. Mm-hmm. But when I defaulted back to who am I? What do I like to do the most? I love to serve people. It didn't matter what it was, whether it was a bowl of soup or a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Remember, you probably heard this before. Food tastes better when someone else prepares it for you. No matter what it is, especially if there's a story behind it and like oh, a knowledge man. and like the experience, the person behind it, like. but think it as a stranger, right? Yeah, You come into my home and I offer you a tray of goodies yeah. or a cup of coffee. And maybe you're having a rough day or a glass of wine or a timely shot or a great, you know, a cup of beer, whatever it is, man, someone offering you hospitality, something to, they don't know what, it, they don't know what you're going through. That act is everything. And be able to communicate that passionately. I think that's been my it factor and my ability to make that real for people. That's what's made me successful. Beautiful, I love it. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness, ooh, so many, I'm a fall human beings, patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I got, one of my first corporate evaluations, and I've seen it play itself out throughout my career, is not having patience for people who don't have the same skills or talents that I have. And that's so critical when dealing with people. That's mm-hmm. why I talk about educating, bringing people up, raising them up to where you are. It's, just, it's a momentous challenge, it's not easy. You can't say, okay guys, this is how we do bonois, mm-hmm. right? You got to really show them how to hold a yeah. knife, to care for the knife. Why do we do it, right? Because if you're doing onions and you mince them or if you cut them too big or too large, it impacts cooking time. And mm-hmm. the final product, you can taste the scorched onion. Yeah. So, again, going back to having patience with people, that's always a challenge for me. As a father, I'm still working on a day-to-day basis as a teacher, as a professional. Uh, patience is a weakness. Mm. And uh, what makes you – why have you gotten better? What have you done to get better with your patience? Oh, man, what have I done to get better with it? Just breathe. Mm-hmm. It's not all bad. Take your time. Yeah. It. It'll be okay. And yeah, just choose not to get angry. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, yeah, not, it's, it's
0: that simple. It's that hard.
1: Yeah, and just don't uh, rush. Yeah. The time isn't everything, man. Just relax, but, yeah, really, man. at the end of the day.
0: But you, I think you hit the, the nail on the head when you said to stop and breathe and take a step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one question you asked or a thing you looked for during the interview process trying to build that team?
1: Why do you cook? What kind of answer are you looking for? whatever's most authentic you hear in that moment right mm-hmm. hey man I just need to make money okay let's to understand what type of opportunity to put you in hey man because I love to feed people okay oh because I love this dish or I love what's on your menu you learn a lot and uh, there's this questioning technique where you ask the question why like five times you keep going you five keep layers going. of why indeed yes yep. yes precisely it uh, so once you do that why do you cook why do you cook that why you start cooking that? You see, and you get into kind of who they are, and you get yeah. back to because my like, grandmother made it. It made me feel good, mm. and I want to make people feel the way my grandmother made me feel. Yeah, or whatever. And that's that's what I love. So it's authenticity. So the answer is not a specific answer. It's how authentic is their answer? Because some people come in, oh, because I like watching celebrity networks and I want to be on Hell's Kitchen. That's <laughs> that's that's noteworthy. Uh, but is that who I want on my team? Probably not. No. Yeah, you know? I got you. So what's your biggest challenge today? The biggest challenge, as we talk about matching people with opportunities, is if I tell you my strength is passion, how do you get that from young people, right? How do you tell them, like, hey, you really want to do this, take advantage of the opportunity I'm doing for you. So over the course of my career, I've opened many doors, not only for myself, but for my students. Now I'm encountering a generation of culinarians who are afraid to walk through that door. Yeah, I say, hey, man, I got a job for 14 bucks an hour. Wow, you're 18. You want to take this? Well, that's too far. Well, that's too scary. Or, I, I don't speak Spanish. I don't want to be in the back of that house. I say, what are you talking about? So, that's the biggest challenge. How do you get this generation of young people to, to fail safely? Because you're going to fail. not going to be yeah. perfect. But they are so worried about living this perfect life that's going to play out on Instagram and in social media and Snapchat. But guess what? Mistakes are messy. Mm-hmm. So, how do you give them the courage to fail safely? And how do that's you give the them the courage? Challenge. You gotta get you gotta expose them as much as possible. You gotta push them. You gotta make sure that they fail safely, but they can't fail safely if are not doing. Yeah, it. you
0: gotta get, make sure they fail in a position where like with when they're under your umbrella. Oh, yeah. So when they fail, they get used to it and you can pick them back up absolutely. and you, you can absolutely teach them to fail again and get, get used to failing.
1: And the most learning happens in failure. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh man, they go too long. You're yeah. scorched. I mean anybody who's ever burned anything, it's not a matter of technique. You just were innovative or just yeah. got away from you. You see you hear things like that all the time. Not you messed it up, you ruined my business. That, that's not gonna teach someone. Them, yeah.
0: and we're yeah. talking about we're, ha- we're having this conversation in the educational arena but the lessons that we're talking about are so important within Absolutely. the actual work like in the kitchen in the yes. in the front of the house like when you're mentoring and you're bringing these people up like push people to fail know that they're going to fail yeah. and be there to pick them back up when they do and like anticipate it but like that's how you that's how you create opportunity for these people what well,
1: is think about the, the common kitchen rotation you start off on prep you move up to fry grill and things if you're, not, if you're a chef worth your salt you're evaluating that employee at every station yeah. That's why when you finally become Sue, that Sue should be able to run every station uh, in your kitchen and can give that leadership back or that teaching. But, hey, if that kid isn't cutting brunoise or mincing the onions with any love or care, they're not going to cut your fish that way. So don't complain when they butcher your meat and you're not getting the yield you expect because you didn't work with them when they're back there cutting that veggie yep. or salad station. The salad station, to me, is just as important as a saute station. And you need to develop your employees to match each and every element of their station from mise en place and prep, from knife skill to safety and sanitation, and executing their tasks with diligence and speed.
0: Mm, chef, this is great, man. I'm loving this conversation. I really am. <laughs> I'm, loving uh,
1: I'm a teacher. My <laughs> I can tell. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your students. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. We go back to some of those basic culinary skills. It goes back to safety and sanitation, mm. right? It's a big deal. We all got to have these certifications to be in compliance. But when you have children, they don't quite understand or appreciate what that means. And I get pretty graphic with them. You don't want to kill anybody with your food. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, oh, we take it for granted. Dirty dishes, dirty this, dirty cooks, messy station. But if you've you've worked in this business long enough and you drew some lines back and forth, guess what? When customers get foodborne illness or sick from something that you make— you may not hear about it. You may not call the health department. The news is not going to come to your front store. But what you lose is a customer. Mm-hmm. What you lose is a piece of your reputation. What you lose your is the reference. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. They may not drag you in the state and say, man, I went there and it wasn't that. Yeah. But you miss an opportunity. So it's a very basic tenets of safety and sanitation is something I really focus in on and make it beyond the academic. Again, it goes back to that nourishment. How could we feed someone that could food that could hurt them when at the same time the potential of that food could nourish them? Mm. So teach them that fine line. Hey, you touch your face, go wash your hand. Hey, you just go wash your hand. And I've developed that. I've gotten this name of Chef Petty. Man, Chef Petty, you Petty on everything. I said, Petty for your perfection. Mm. That safe environment. This is safe now. Let me do this to you now before you get out to somebody's restaurant and do the same. Mm-hmm. I had a great opportunity taking kids to visit uh, Chef Curtis Duffy. Shout out to Curtis Duffy, man. Great guy who runs Grace Restaurant in Chicago. He's recently left in uh, December. He and his partner. But while there, they put into play at a three-star Michelin restaurant some of the basic tenets that I teach my students. You got to ceiling to floor glass kitchen that people who are paying 500 to thousand bucks a night are looking in and seeing how these cooks are conducting themselves. When you put teenagers in that environment, like we did last year to stodge with these world-class chefs, they understand now that things I've been petty about, Translate into success at the mm. highest levels of our business. So that's why it's important. Beautiful. What is a one uncommon standard of service you teach your students? Uncommon standard is tough because we're in the business of hospitality and trying to teach children who may not have experienced hospitality. How do you get them to do that? And just respect for each other. You know, we kind of talked earlier about uh, the uniform standard and the check and the handshake and all those things. Uh, just respect for humanity. Who you're serving who you're dealing with they say things that like the customer is always right not necessarily but they're always people mm-hmm. and again people go through things when someone's rushing and want to know where their food is at then yeah they're probably going to be a little tense mm-hmm. when they're stressing out you may want to get an extra beverage that way so just really teaching them hospitality when in turn they may not experience these things at home think about it we're dealing with the generation of children who don't sit down to have a meal with their family so they don't understand how important that yeah. is uh, one game i play with these kids we have family meal and a family meal at our family table all cell phones go away. I don't want to see it. I said, You're going to sit here and talk to your classmates, mm-hmm. enjoy a meal. Oh, you got 15 minutes, bang it out, get back in the kitchen, get back to work. But you had to teach them these very basic tenets of family and respect for each other. Um, and I guess, in a word, empathy mm. for each other, for their teammates. For their customers, think about it. If we were more empathetic towards our customers, why is this person nagging about this? Why is this person uh, impatient about this? And if we teach from our service to the back of the house, because everybody needs to have empathy, then they'll appreciate it. Hey, guys, some people... Don't want to have cross-contamination because they had somebody die or they've been in a hospital for weeks. Gluten allergies are a real thing. They irritate the hell out of a lot of us chefs. But the reality is you can cause someone some real harm for those who truly have celiac disease. So when we have empathy in the kitchen, it comes through in our staff. It comes through in our food and service. And eventually, it hits our bottom line.
0: I love it, Jeff. This is great stuff. And
1: what is one book that's a must read to make us a better mm. person or restaurant operator? Oh, man. I recently discovered this guy, Atul Gawande. He is a physician out of Ohio University, uh, trained there. He wrote a book called Better. I love it. And what he does is go around and talks to all these different professionals about how to become better. And he identified trends that they would do. Uh, many of you may have heard this. You're not an expert until you've done something 10,000 times. Yeah. That seems unconceivable until you do something 20,000 times <laughs> and that chefs get it, right? Think about yeah. it. chef. It goes back to empathy for people. As we train, and educate our community, you slice and dice every single day. You've done it a thousand, 10,000, a million times. Literally. What about the person who just got started? Every, every cook is slow, right? How do you get that speed? Remember who you were. And in fact, the great saying I hear is be who you needed when you were younger. That's what I love about yes. that, right? And when you can do that, you say, oh, man, I remember the first time I had to supreme an orange. Oh, that sucked. The first time you had to poach a million eggs during a bunch. Oh, that sucked. What techniques or small tips can you give that person? And using your empathy to educate, that's how you get the results you want.
0: Jeff, you're making it really hard for me to, to select one <laughs> quote to use in the opening of this this uh, episode. Uh, there's some great one-liners in here, but that one might have just taken the cake. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> so... actually. Um, I was going to ask, oh, I want to share a quote with you. But then I got, I got sidetracked at that awesome one-liner you just dropped on us. <laughs> uh, so you said, you know, how do you become an expert? Uh, you do something 10,000 times or 20,000 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Lee once said, do uh, you know the quote that I'm about to say? I don't, I don't fear the man who knows 10,000 kicks. I fear the
1: man who's done oh, yes. the same kick 10,000 yes. times. Yes, I love that one. Yes. <laughs> and, that's it. and that's a reasonable yeah. fear to have, yeah, right? Exactly. You, know, being, you know, people say as a chef or a professional, especially in my career trajectory, he's like, you know, I'm a master of all, I was a jack of all trades, master of some. Right. Yeah. And that's what you want to be. You yeah. want to be skillful and resourceful. That's why I love
0: this Think about business. Like, like the, the doctors uh, and the, the lawyers of the world that are super successful. They specialize mm-hmm. in one thing. Oh, yeah. They're the best at doing one thing. Yeah. And yeah. that's how you get ahead in this world, I believe, finding your niche. Indeed. Um, all right. So the next question uh, is share a resource or tool cool. that you leverage.
1: Well, it's so funny. I was doing a career day earlier today and I had my honer and my chef's play and I was teaching the children. These are eight, nine, ten year 10-year-olds about our business, talking about my career. But what I didn't talk a lot about being a chef. What I talked about is the role that the honer and the knife plays. And I don't have analogies here. And I said, well, the honer must be harder than the blade. But the blade is the tool. But the only way the tool, the knife, can get honed is as it go through something really hard. And you got to be very skillful. You got to be very deliberate about that. So when we talk about tools or resources, teaching people to be resourceful. When I talk about a good cook cooks, everybody cooks in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. But to be a better cook, read, find something, and whatever resonates with it. It has to be an easy read, too. We say, I can prescribe to you like one of my chefs, uh, Chef Richard Pignetti, uh, rest in peace, Chef Pignetti. Uh, He gave me his CIA book, his chef's professional cooking book, and I love that book. The great thing is in a lot of local kitchens, if you look on their bookshelves, they all have the version of that book kind of that was timely during their time in school or whatever. But everyone keeps it. It's like a Bible. And there's many other books like that. But you got to find a book that you can refer back to. Magazines are cool. Websites are cool. They're always changing things. But find that Bible. And if you look at my professional cooking book, it is stained with all the different (laughs) sauces and oils and fats and fingerprints Um, But it became an indispensable tool. But instead of finding just one, find something. A good cook cooks, but a better cook reads, whether it's an online resource or an actual book. And I'm telling you, my book has a lot of characters, a lot of adventures. There's probably a blood stain or two in there. Um, So find a resource like that. And as an educator, I definitely have a bias towards professional cooking books. Not the stuff you get in the libraries, not stuff you buy from the bookstores, but a book that not only teaches a recipe, but the technique behind it beautiful. Chef,
0: great stuff. And this is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, the restaurants you've worked in uh, would be lost with your departure uh, except for three pieces of wisdom you know to be true that will leave this uh, this industry, uh, humanity in general better off after you leave. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
1: Man, I always go back to fatherhood. Uh, having lost my parents uh, as a young person and just I love you, you can't do nothing for me. I believe in you, and I believe in your dreams. That's what I tell my students when they start to act up. So I tell my children, that's how I feel. Those are the three pieces. Tell someone you love them. Let them know that I don't. it comes without a cost. You can't do nothing for me. Yeah. But I believe in you, not in what you think you are. Just you, you right now. And I believe in your dreams, whatever they are. Because a lot of time, people's love is conditional mm-hmm. based on what they want for you. But you can't dictate what someone wants for their own life. So those pieces, however kind of fragmented they seem, I love you, I believe in you, and I believe in your dreams, kind of piecing that together. That's what I want my babies to know. That's what I want my students to know. That's what I want my my friends to know. I love you. I believe in you, and I believe in your dreams. Awesome stuff, Chef. Man,
0: thank you so much. Much for taking the time to sit with us today, to share your story, to share your advice. There were some nuggets in here, and you were so well-spoken. It was really just a pleasure uh, listening to you go. And uh, I wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator? Uh, Maybe somebody in the city uh, that you think, when you think of somebody who represents this city, or maybe uh, Cincinnati, that's where I'm headed next. Who is at the top? Who needs to be made an example of?
1: This guy, and I kind of gave him a heads up, Lester Gates. This is a young up-and-coming chef here locally. Uh, And this guy, a lot of those things, I talk about passion and love. I remember being in the country club years ago and coming to see him at various restaurants he works at. I said, this guy needs his shot. Uh, He's actually opened up a small Vinny's booth right down the street, the 2nd Street Market, just getting started. But he has quite a pedigree. I'll let him tell you his story. Uh, But, man, we talk about those those virtues, that passion. This is a guy I kind of think about who epitomizes that. So, Lester Gates. Getting called out, brother. Look out, man.
0: I'm coming after you. I'd love to get your story. And uh, let the folks at home know if they want to follow you, uh, follow your work, your thoughts. Uh, what's the best way to connect?
1: Uh, please. as a, I'm one of the old guys. I'm on Facebook, Chef Anthony Head. Instagram, Gym City Chef. And on Twitter, as Chef Anthony Head. I'm the people chef, y'all. And this is episode 440. Seven,
0: Yeah. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 447. I'll have links to uh, uh, how to connect with Chef, uh, his social platforms, and a summary of today's discussion all over there. Uh, again, Chef Anthony T. Head, thank you so much for taking the time to share your values, to share your story, to share your knowledge. We are all just a little bit more unstoppable after hearing you. And there is no question, my friend, you are definitely unstoppable. <laughs> Woo! Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, Cheers man, that was an awesome episode with chef Anthony T head, man. You're, you're meant to be a poet. I swear to God, you, you, you speak so beautifully and even beyond how you deliver your words, the, the impact of your words, the meaning of your words, man, I'm so behind the message that you are delivering today of just empowering the next generation of professionals, sharing what you know. uh, So that next wave of professionals has a better shot at making it. And also some great advice on just taking those jobs that uh force you to grow. And that's what Chef Anthony Head did. He he went into restaurants that were opening and you really get to get a real taste of who people truly are in those challenging situations. And also you can really give yourself an opportunity to rise to the top of the leadership uh team and you can really create awesome opportunities for yourself. Not only are you learning so much about the industry uh, going through that process of opening, but you can really set yourself up for success. And uh, really, just I need to put more emphasis on this idea of sharing knowledge and uh, making your life about educating others and empowering others and uh, picking up others when they fall and creating this culture in our restaurants where, where people can fall and learn how to fail and not be afraid to fail, uh, but just to really get out there and live life. And uh, just so much value in today's conversation. I love that that message of uh, really making it about everyone else but you, about nour- nourishing the souls of other people with genuine, real hospitality and caring about people and just Really existing for everyone else. And when you do that, it all comes back around and you live such a life of fulfillment. Uh, I just love today's conversation. Awesome stuff. All right, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Let me know who you want to hear from, let me know what your challenges are. As you're listening to this, I'm in Thailand. I probably just landed. I'm probably all kinds of messed up, uh, 12 hours difference in time. So I'm sure I'm acclimating, but I'm, I'm out in Thailand to, uh, work on the platform to take it to the next level, to maybe do a little bit of rebranding. Who knows? Uh, but I know I can take this podcast to the next level and I need you to help me take it to the next level. And what I mean by that, you need to tell me what content you want. You need to tell me where the pain is so I can go out there and find the experts and find the mentors uh, and bring them back onto the platform that so we can learn together so I can have them answer your questions. You you might not have access to these consultants, the best minds in the industry, but I do and I can put them in front of you if you use me uh, to leverage my network. You you should be, I mean, I'm here to serve you. You might as well. Uh, So do know that uh, I'm, I'm listening? I want your recommendations, and uh, I want to take this this resource to the next level. You can help me do that. Uh, please share this resource if you believe in the idea of sharing knowledge and uh, empowering each other in this industry and leaning on each other. Share this resource with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry. Uh, that's how you can help out. And uh, all right, I think that's that's good for now. Uh, can't wait to publish the next episode.